morning. Um, my name's Matt, and yeah, just going to guide you through this next kind of bit of the meeting um, with a couple of illustrations. And the first one, um, we're going to watch a short video. You don't move for the next five rounds, you win a hoverboard. This is the hoverboard. Okay, don't move. Don't move, nobody moves. Nobody moves. Whoa! My armpits are itchy. Can I itch Sick. I want the, the bubble gum. Yeah, who cares? I can't even write 
over. You won, Andre. Yay! <laughs> Did Andre get ice cream? Thank you. That's, yeah, brilliant. Cool. So yeah, so that video hopefully shows what we might be, or what Marcus is going to be talking about a bit later. Well, we're going to continue on in our series. We're going through the book of James, the letter really, written, we think, by Jesus's uh, brother, his half-brother, which is kind of pretty mind-blowing, exciting to read. It's a, a punchy, practical, and profound letter. So you might want to turn to it or scroll to it or, or whatever you want to do there. And uh, you probably already realise what the topic is this morning. What James is going to address is the whole deal of temptation. He's going to helpfully address that for us. And uh, just to kind of uh, get our definitions straight, temptation being the, de the desire, the pull we feel not to follow God, not to follow Jesus. You can follow God, we can follow Jesus, or we can not do that. And temptation is this experience we have, this strange, mysterious pull away from following the one who is good through and through, the one who made everything, the one who made us. It seems like a strange thing uh, when you think about it like that, and we'll get into the reasons why we might uh, be pulled away from him or move away from him in, uh, in through the course of this morning. Well, let's get straight to reading this, uh, this Bible passage here. James, and we're in... Verse 12, still in chapter 1, we're in verse 12. It says this, it's what James writes. He said, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. And then he goes on, Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, he writes. My beloved brothers and sisters, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forward by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. There's a lot in this uh, few verses here. So to, kind of, uh, to help us to focus us, we're simply going to ask the question, how can I overcome temptation? How can I resist temptation? How can I a walk through and face and make right choices in this strange pull that sometimes we have to walk away from Jesus, to do things another way. And we'll just kind of answer it really in three ways. The first way, way number one, we're going to go through verse 13, verse 14, and verse 15, just drawing something out in each one of them. In verse 13, really, James says, don't say I'm being tempted by God. And as we read on as well, especially what we pick up here is there is this temptation in us to look outside of ourselves when we're tempted. Not to look in here, but to look out at something else. And even to kind of blame God. Well, God is tempting me. 
He's the one that's kind of making me feel this way, which is crazy when you think about it. We've heard this morning that this is the God who says, come to me. He wants us to come into relationship with him. He wants us to be with him. He wants us to follow him. He's not at the same time trying to lure us away and trying to trick us into doing something else. Everything he is about is about drawing us to him and supremely, of course, in the person of Jesus who came to seek and save the lost. That was you and me, maybe at one time or another. But we also have this temptation to, maybe you don't blame God, maybe you blame something else. Maybe when you're tempted, you, well, I certainly have in the past, to, to say, well, it's, it's not my fault, it's this reason or that reason, to try and excuse the things that I am kind of thinking and mulling over in my mind. Perhaps I might do that. We have this temptation in, tempta- in temptation to blame something else, to excuse ourselves and put the blame somewhere else. And we kind of find this right at the beginning, actually, in Genesis. It's this kind of wonderful, um, well, it's an awful thing in some ways, but it's a wonderful insight into what has broken in humanity, what is broken in us. And as we see in the Garden of Eden, when everything is right, we see how temptation works. And of course, Adam is tempted to eat the apple, well, not an apple, I don't know what it is, the fruit, the forbidden fruit. God says, you can eat from any tree, but not that one. And of course, the snake comes in and starts to kind of lie and deceive Eve. And then Eve uh, gives some of this fruit to her husband. But what's interesting is when God turns up, when he kind of looks to see, to see what has gone on, and what does Adam do? He doesn't say, oh, I've made a terrible mistake. I've done something wrong. I know you said not to, but I've, I've done it. He says, the woman you gave me gave me some to eat, and I ate it. It's kind of this sneaky blame shifting that's going on. It's kind of this thing in us that wants to blame someone else and put the, put the blame out there and not in here where it belongs. The woman you gave me. Really, God, it's your fault. You gave me the woman. And look what's happened. Not, to, not really our fault. Temptation is characterized by this same sneaky blame shifting and subtle responsibility shirking that characterizes sin, because it's a prelude often to doing things that are wrong. We're trying to excuse ourselves. And so the first thing that we need to know if we're to resist temptation is to take responsibility for our actions. It is actually down to us what we do or what we don't do. Now, of course, there was a snake in the garden and there was a kind of a delicious-looking fruit. There were these external things, but what actually broke and what actually we inherit is this broken desires that, that are inside us. And so it's important to take seriously how we react to situations, not just look at the circumstances around us. The real problem is in here. When we're tempted, this is where the real problem is, and this is where our focus needs to be, not outside, not trying to excuse ourselves by the circumstances that we are in. Now, I think I might have shared this before with, with some of you, but I just I really wanted to do it again because it's so... So insightful. Do you know Wind in the Willows? Is anyone, is that still a thing, Wind in the Willows? <clears throat> Some will remember it. I know there was a kind of a, an animated uh, thing a little while ago. It's this story about a toad and a badger, <clears throat> and I think there's a rat in there, and some weasels and some stoats. Anyway, we're, we're going to pick up the story where Mr. Toad is being tempted. 
And I think it's that Kenneth Graham writes so insightfully about this process of temptation. And we're going to pick up towards the end something more about this process of temptation. But here there's a particular aspect of it that I want us to, uh, to notice and to highlight. So I'm going to read a little excerpt from the story. I, obviously, for copyright reasons, I couldn't um, use the original illustrations or, the, or even more recent ones. So I just, that was an excuse to play around with an AI artist and uh, all that kind of stuff, so I had, had some fun. And that's, that's by way of excusing, if they're a little slightly creepy, it's not, or disturbing pictures, it's not, it's not my fault. I just say, kind of, uh, um, draw me a picture in a kind of, uh, some particular style of Mr. Toad from Wind of the Willows, da 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 So, I don't know, it sort of works, but if you look closely, you'll go, well, that's odd. <laughs> But your artists are quite pleased about it at the moment, so there are, there are limitations. So, here we go. This, oh, by the way, Mr. Toad loves motor cars. That's his thing. That's his temptation. But it always ends in disaster when he gets in a motor car. It's not good for him, it's not good for other people. It's dangerous for him to be anywhere near motor cars. But we join him as he's eating in a pub somewhere along the open road. So we can have the first picture there. That's okay, isn't it? It's reasonably all right. Toad was about halfway through his meal when an only too familiar sound approaching down the street made him start and fall a-trembling all over. The beep-beep drew nearer and nearer. The car could be heard to turn into the inn-yard and come to a stop, and Toad had to hold on to the leg of the table to conceal his overmastering emotion. Sin grabs our emotions. It begins to kind of stir us there. We feel it often very strongly. It wants to master us and overpower us, often starting in our senses and emotions. Let's read on. Read on. Presently, the party entered the coffee room. Hungry, talkative, and voluble on their experiences of the morning and the merits of the chariot that had brought them along so well. There, there they are. Toad listened eagerly, all ears for a time. At last, he could stand it no longer. He slipped out of the room quietly, paid his bill at the bar, and as soon as he got outside, sauntered around quietly to the inn-yard. There cannot be any harm, he said to himself, in my only just looking. Temptation deceives us that there are no bad consequences. So there he goes. Now he's looking at the car. The car stood in the middle of the yard, quite unattended. The stable helpers and others hangers-on, being all at their dinner, Toad walked slowly around it, inspecting, criticising, musing deeply. I wonder, he said to himself presently, I wonder if this sort of car starts easily. Sin starts in secret, it gathers momentum in our minds, all the while disguising itself as something innocent, innocuous, noble even. Next moment, hardly knowing how it came about, he found he had hold of the handle and turning it, um, he was turning it and as the familiar sound broke forth, the old passion seized Toad and completely mastered him, body and soul. There was the phrase that jumped out to me, hardly knowing how it came about, hardly knowing how it came about. How on earth did that come about? that he ended up pulling the handle of that motor car. Can you, can you fathom it? What on earth? How did, how did that happen? It's obvious how it happened. And yet he excuses himself. I have no idea how that came about, how I just found myself in this position. There's something happens in temptation that, seems, that, that tries to, 
to distance us from our own agency in the situation. It's kind of like you go into a dream, as we will see a little bit later on. It's not really me. Something else is happening. It's actually something in here that we are responsible for. And yet the deception of sin, and James talks about deception, don't be deceived. The deception of temptation is it's not really our fault. We're not really involved. Something is happening to us. Don't blame other people, says James. Certainly don't blame God. We think to ourselves, no one else will know. No harm will come of it. It's not really that bad. It's just who I am. Everyone else does it. It's impossible to resist. It's humanly impossible for me not to do this thing. It's not really down to me. It's not my fault. But actually it is. It is. We have a choice of the things that we do. And actually if we realise that and we take responsibility for what we think about and what we do, not only does this the start of helping us resist temptation, but it also makes God's grace available to us when we, and if we do fall, and if we do mess up. Because although we, it's not God's fault, it's not Jesus who does these things, it's not him who puts these in, in, our, in these awkward positions, it's not him who wants us to stop following him, quite the opposite. Actually, when he came and died on the cross for us, he took our sin on himself. And if we would admit our responsibility, and if we say, yes, I have messed up, yes, I have done wrong, I shouldn't have done that, he offers to take that sin away from us and own it for himself. And it would have been dealt with fully on the cross. He's innocent. It's, it's not his fault. And yet the Bible says that he became sin for us we admit responsibility. It's the first stage of receiving God's grace. And actually, it's the first stage of being empowered by God to walk in the way that we should. So that's the first thing. The first thing we need to do is just to wake up to our responsibility. This deception, this fog that comes on us as we're being tempted to walk away from Jesus, this fog of lies, one of the things it says to us is actually, you're not in control. We are. You are. The next thing we need to know, we can learn from this, moving on to verse 14, if we're to resist temptation, is to cultivate a greater desire for Jesus. To cultivate a greater desire for Jesus. James goes on to point out that the true power of temptation lies in our own misplaced and mixed up desires. Each person is tempted, he says, when he is lured, when she is lured and enticed by their own desire. It's important to recognise. We need to recognise this. Otherwise, we might go down the wrong track in trying to resist temptation. We go down some dead ends. We think, well, this might work, but it actually won't work because the problem is at the level of our desires. And so uh, another excuse to share with you uh, another little story. Actually, coincidentally, it's about another toad. So you can learn a lot from toads. This is about frog and toad, in fact. And um, toad has baked some cookies. And he takes them round to his friend Frog's house to eat them. And I don't know if you've got a whole... Yeah, oh, look at that. <laughs> they look good. Again, generated by AI. Quite extraordinary. There you go. There's some, there's some biscuits. They bake this amazing load of biscuits. And now we pick up the story after a while of eating these biscuits. Frog says, I think we should stop eating because soon we will be sick. Toad says, all right. Let's just have one last cookie. So they had one last cookie. 
Then Frog says, let us eat one very last cookie. So they eat one very last cookie. We must stop eating, cried Toad, as he ate another cookie. Yes, said Frog, reaching for a cookie. We need willpower. What is willpower? asked Toad. Willpower is trying hard not to do something that you really want to do, said Frog. So Frog put the cookies in a box. There, he said, now we will not eat any more cookies. But we can open the box, said Toad. So Frog tied some string around the box. There, said Frog, now we will not eat any more cookies. But we can cut the string, said Toad. So Frog put the box on a high shelf. There, said Frog, now we will not eat any more cookies. But we can climb a ladder and cut the string and open the box, said Toad. So Frog took the cookies outside and threw them to the birds, and who ate them all up. Now we have no more cookies, said Toad, sadly. Not even one. Yes, said Frog, but we have lots and lots of willpower. You may keep it all, said Toad. I'm going home to bake a cake. <laughs> and there's his cake. Look at that. Oh, it's a nice cake, isn't it? You notice that nothing that Frog did stopped, ultimately, Toad from indulging his appetite for cookies and cake. It slowed him down, but it made no difference. It was obvious. Everything that was done, you could simply undo. It slowed him down, but it didn't change his craving. So we might think that when we're thinking about temptation and wanting to resist temptation, that the way to address it is to put some rules in place, to put it in a box, to put some string around it, to put it on a high shelf, to distance ourselves from it in some way. And those things can be wise, but on their own, they're ultimately powerless to help us resist temptation. Because what is going on is at the level of the will, it's at the level of our desires, and we'll always find a way around it. Unless these measures are actually subservient to a greater and deeper desire for something else, they'll ultimately be ineffective. We'll just go home and bake a cake. And actually, God isn't interested primarily in just outward conformance to a set of rules. He wants our heart. He, he wants our love. He wants our devotion. And that is actually the only thing that produces truly lasting, glorious change in us. It's a deeper love, a greater love. It's not after just ticking a few boxes or as many as we can. It's important how we live, and there are consequences for it. But he wants our heart. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength. That's what he wants. I love Frog's definition of willpower. Willpower is trying hard not to do something that you really want to do. Why on earth would you do that? It's because you want something more. You have a, a deeper desire for something else. It was so great, wasn't it, that, that video, The Bouncy Castle? 
and the, and the dog and the puppy and all, all the rest of it. Why did that one girl at the end of it, why did she kind of hold out? She wanted something more. It wasn't just that you ought to do this, you ought not to do that. There was a deeper desire going on. And wonderful at times said, I'm not even interested in that. I want, I want the hoverboards. I'm not even sure totally exactly what a hoverboard is and what you do with it, but it sounds really exciting and that's what she wanted. And that's why she held out. The others kind of weighed it and said, you know what, I would rather have the puppy, I would rather have the kind of uh, swimming pool full of sweets. I don't know how that works, but uh, they wanted something else. And so if we're to resist temptation, we need to cultivate a deeper, greater desire and love for the Lord Jesus, to feed our affection for him. This is how we triumph ultimately over temptation. We feed our affection for Jesus. Temptation draws us away from God, so we need a greater revelation of who he is. Like they could have just explained a little bit more what a hoverboard is and how great a hoverboard is, and they could have had demonstrations of the hoverboard. I think that would have helped them kind of hold, hold on and keep going, even when there were some immediate pleasures that they might want to indulge in. So it's the same for us. We need to feed our desire for Jesus. When you become a Christian, that kind of, it kind of uh, blasts, it kind of uh, it just comes to life suddenly, a desire for Jesus. I remember that. I wonder if some of you remember that. Becoming a Christian, you hear the gospel, you hear the good news about Jesus dying for your sin and rising again. The love of God that's revealed in that. And something just came to life in me and my desires changed. My desire suddenly was for Jesus. But as we, as we continue following him, we can feed and cultivate and grow in our love for him and an understanding of who he is and get to know him better. And that stands us in good stead to follow him more closely, closer and closer. And I'm going to just suggest some things that we can do, just to be a little bit practical here, but none of them will surprise you. You won't need to kind of, oh, that's a good idea, I'll write that down. They're, they're obvious, but let me encourage you and let's encourage one another. These, these are the things that help us see the glory of God in the person of Jesus. We've already had that a little bit this morning, haven't we, in uh, different ones coming up. Dave kind of coming up. Have you seen? Have you seen? Have you seen how good God is? Have you seen the glory of God in the person of Jesus, his grace and his kindness to us? And primarily, we can see it in his word. This is the revelation about who Jesus is. Have you seen it? Are you reading it? Are you enjoying it and seeing the Lord Jesus in it? And is your desire for him growing? This is the word of truth. James talks about the word of truth. This is God speaks truth. He reveals himself. He reveals the truth about himself primarily in the person of his son. So let me encourage you, as you are probably not surprised for me to do, open your Bible and read it and encounter Jesus and let it feed your desire for him. See the grace of God in the person of Jesus. See the love of God in the person of Jesus. Read the Gospels. Read the letters as we're doing here. In fact, read every aspect of it. This, Jesus says, these are the scriptures that speak about me. Let me encourage you in that, in whatever way kind of works for you. This dispels the deception that is all around temptation. Temptation is basically, it's a deception that comes to a, uh, a conflict in us at the level of our desires. And this Bible, God's Word, shines the light on that. We can see things how they truly are. So that's kind of obvious thing number one. Obvious thing number two, we've been doing it this morning as well. It's worship. We, we, we receive this revelation and then we just delight in it and we declare it and we speak it out and we sing it out. And that is part of the enjoyment of it. We're enjoying the truth that's come to us 
the grace that's come to us. Did you love it when you're singing these songs with amazing words? It's shining the light. It's helping us. It's feeding our desire, our devotion to Jesus. Goff is taking us through the Psalms at the moment in, um, in, in the King's Daily. Let me encourage you. Tune in there. Go, go through the, the Psalms. Get a, a heart for worship. Thankfulness is something else that we can do just to make sure we're, we're, we're articulating our thanks for things. Worship's partly about that as well. Thanking the Lord for his presence. Lord, thank you for the good things that you've given me right now. Thank you you've given me yourself, your presence by the Holy Spirit. Thank you for your love and your kindness to me. All the good gifts that you have given us. Thank you for Jesus. What a gift. He who didn't spare his only son but gave him up for us all. This is the God that we worship. This is the God who calls us to follow him. This is the God that as we hear this revelation, our heart is drawn to him and away from sin. Ask him for what we need. Can we ask in the name of Jesus? This is a God who said, you may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. This is the one we follow. Ask him for what we need. Sometimes we're tempted to go elsewhere because we have a deep need and we think, I can't find that in God, I can't find that in Jesus, I'll find that in elsewhere. That's the lie of temptation. Yes, you can. We have everything we need in him through our knowledge of him. Ask him. Obey him. Do what he says. He doesn't ask us to follow him as a hard thing. He's asking us to follow him to have fellowship with him because life works best when we follow him, when we obey him, when we do what he says. And as we do, we learn a deeper appreciation of his faithfulness to us and his power and presence with us. Fellowship. Let's be around one another. Again, as we are doing this morning, let's encourage one another. If we're being tempted, let's just share that with others, other people that we trust I'm I'm struggling in this. This is the battle going on within me. Let's let's be examples to one another in walking well. Maybe you're a student or you just moved this morning, not this morning, but recently, your kind of new place. There's great vulnerability in that, but there's great opportunity too. Get rooted into a local church. Get around other Christians. We're meant to stand together to encourage one another. This is how we resist temptation. We can help one another in it. And of course, we could share with others the wonderful good things, the gospel that has come to us. We can enjoy it even as we share it with others. So that was point number two. Point number one, take responsibility for our own agency. Point number two, cultivate a greater desire for Jesus. And point number three, I want to finish with this very, just making it all very practical. This is uh, and something that's really helped me as well. And I've, I've kind of titled this, Don't Be Slow in Saying No. Just going to help us memorise. Don't be slow in saying no. We've already looked at this process. You can see it illustrated in just that children's story. We saw what happened as we watched Toad. It was a process that was working out. It wasn't a sudden thing that happened to him. Sometimes it can seem sudden, but most of the time there is a process that temptation uh, takes place through. Verse 15, James describes this process, starting with temptation and ending in death. He says, desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. There is this chain reaction. It's a predictable chain of events that takes place. And we might kind of try and deceive ourselves. Well, I have no idea how that happened. I have no idea how I ended up in that situation. But if you trace it back, there will be a number of steps that took place before that. The sound inflamed a desire. A desire was mulled over in his mind. His thinking led to an action. 
Innocently and out of interest, he draws nearer rather than running away. And Graham continues the sorry tale here. He says, as if in a dream, Toad found himself somehow seated in the driver's seat. As if in a dream, he pulled the lever and swung the car around the yard and out through the archway. And as if in a dream, all sense of right and wrong or fear of obvious consequences seemed temporarily suspended. This is what temptation to sin does. It seeks to disengage us from reality, from the truth of who we really are, of what is really going on. It's like an anaesthetic that is slowly pumped into us, but it's one that strangely we, we cooperate with if we haven't understood what is going on, and so we remain culpable for our actions and what we do. A desire unchecked became a thought. A thought unchecked became an action. That's how it works. It felt so good as we read on in this story. It felt so good, writes Graham. Toad at his best and highest. But we read on. There's a crash. There's a ditch. There's judgment. And there's a dungeon. The story does not end well. It's just a predictable story and process of temptation. Is how things work out. And so my exhortation, I think James' exhortation here, is to not let the process go on too far. The longer you let this process go on, the more kind of soporific we kind of feel, the more drowsy we get, the more deceived we become. At the earliest opportunity, we need to stop this catastrophic series of consequences. Early intervention is the best policy when it comes to resisting temptation. And so I want to share with you something that I found helpful over many years. It comes from Titus 2, verses 11 to 14. I found it very effective. Paul writes this. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope the appearing of the glorious of appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. This is a this is a wonderful help in resisting temptation. It's this one word, no. No. It's very straightforward. Now Although it got a little bit more complicated because when I looked into it, oh, this is the NIV I'm quoting from. Actually, if you kind of look in the original language, this, the, uh, frustratingly, no wasn't there. Like, I've been doing this for years and finding it so helpful. And then I found out, oh, no isn't there. Oh, no. I mean, is this, why, this, is, this, this is something different here. But then I looked into it. Now, I've told you about my, um, my poor attempts to learn different languages. But there's a word here which is there in the Greek. It's um, aneomai. Arnett Omai, I think that's how you say it. Well, and I think about it as Arnold Schwarzenegger. Arne, Arne. That's a bit like Arne, isn't it? Arne, Arnold Schwarzenegger. And I think about trying to tell him to do something as the Terminator. Go and do that. What's he going to say to you? No. <laughs> He's not going to do what you tell him to do. It's because this massive uh, skin a covered robot from the future. He can do anything that he likes. He's, uh, he's uh, anyway, not going to do what you ask him to do. No, he's going to refuse. No, honor, oh my, honor, oh my. No, he's not going to do it. 
Because when I looked up this word, it means to refuse consent to something, to disdain that thing, to state that something is not true, to deny it, to disclaim association with it, to repudiate, to disown, to refuse to pay any attention to, to disregard and renounce. Anaomai, no. I think the NIV is quite a good translation. It's quite short, it's quite punchy. No. The grace of God comes to us and it teaches us to say no to unrighteousness, no to temptation, no to sin. I love it because it's an active no. It, it reminds us of the responsibility we have. Now, I need to do something. I'm beginning to feel this. Temptation is beginning to pull. I need to do something. I need to take action. No. It's a no of activity. I am going to follow Jesus. No, I am going to follow Jesus. It's a short no. It's not entering into discussion about this temptation and musing about it and mulling about it and thinking about it because that, that does not end well. It says, no, I'm not thinking about that anymore. That, that, is, that is, I'm stopping doing that. I'm, I'm disassociating myself from that. There's no discussion. It's an informed no. It's a short word, but it comes in the context of God's grace to us. No, because of the grace of God that has come to me in the person of Jesus and the glorious future that I have in him. No. The word of truth informs this no. The grace of God informs this no. It's a passionate no. It's not a stoic no. Oh, what a shame. I'm missing out. It's a passionate, it's a no to sin, but it's a yes to Jesus. Because that is what temptation is. Are you going to walk away from Jesus or are you going to walk towards Jesus? Do you want Jesus or something else? So it's not just a no to sin and temptation. It's a yes to Jesus and the grace of God that comes to us in him. It's a passionate no. Yes to my heavenly Father, who is the source, said James, of every good thing. Am I going to go that way to the source of every good thing? Or am I going to go that way to the absence of everything good? No. I'm going to follow Jesus. It's a wonderfully passionate yes to Jesus, not just a no, a stoic no. And it's a powerful no. It's a powerful no. Because it's a no of faith. Because it's based in God's word. And as we trust in what God has said, the power of the Holy Spirit comes to help us to do what we, humanly speaking, cannot do. You cannot resist temptation on your own. We need a power, the power of the Holy Spirit, which is God himself working in us to draw himself to us. So this no is a no of faith. I trust in God and in his word and in what he has said. I say no to unrighteousness and yes to God and the grace of God that I find in him. What I encourage you to stand firm when you are tempted to accept responsibility to cultivate a desire for Jesus and because of the grace of God that has come to us to say no to unrighteousness. I wonder if the band would like to come back now. Our time is uh, drawing to a close. Why don't we, if you could all, if you're able to stand with me, then please, please do so. I want to just finish by praying for us and encouraging us just aware that different ones of us will be in different situations, experiencing different things. Maybe you're somewhere along this strange process of temptation that goes nowhere good. Maybe you're being tempted right now by sight or sound or thought. Maybe there's the beep, beep that you're hearing, and it's pulling your heart. Beep, beep, 
this good thing, that good thing, that seems to be good, but it's, it's not. Delight yourself in Jesus. Even this morning, in these last few precious minutes together, open your eyes to him. Worship, declare the truth that we're going to express in just a moment. The beep, beep will dull. And it dulls not because of the rules and regulations we put in place, but because of the deeper desire we have for Jesus when he is revealed to us more clearly, as he has been this morning. Maybe you're musing deeply. You've been drawn to something and you're, you're thinking it through in your mind and even, even perhaps these last few days you've been trying to find a way to do it and excuse it and it's, it's no one will know. Stop. Stop. Take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. That means bring the grace of God to bear on the situation. Bring the truth of God's word to bear on the situation. What is really going to happen if you do that? What are the real consequences? And what grace we have in God, in the person of Jesus. He will meet your needs. He will meet your needs. Even as you make the difficult choice, he will be with you. He will meet your needs. Trust him. Start to muse and to think about and to meditate on the goodness of God to you in Jesus. Maybe you're in a daydream. Wake up. Wake up. Maybe you've been kind of in this pattern of temptation and sin for, for months and years, and you're kind of in a daydream. You've learned to kind of separate this kind of compartmentalize your life. Wake up to the reality of the goodness of God for you in the person of Jesus. Maybe you're in a driving seat right now. Maybe you find yourself, I don't know how I got here, I'm in the car. It's a series of choices that have led to you being in the car. Get out of the car. What does that mean for you? Get out of the car. Talk to a friend. Walk away. Run away if you need to. Maybe you're in the ditch though. Maybe you thought, oh, this is too late, I've done it. I wish I'd come last week, last month, last year. Didn't know about this. I'm in the ditch. All is ruined. It's never too late to take responsibility for the things that we do wrong and to bring them to Jesus. So I've messed up. My fault. But I've heard that you take on yourself my sin. I've heard that. It seems too good to be true, but here it is, my sin. The things that I've done wrong, the, 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 the bad choices, the, the hurt that I've done to myself, to other people. Here it is. He, want, he will take it from you. Give it to him. Even in the ditch. Remember the prodigal son in the pigsty? He was in the ditch. He came back and he found such grace and mercy from his father. If you're in the ditch, admit responsibility. Trust in Jesus' death and resurrection for you. Turn from sin and run to him. He's in the business of getting us out of the ditch. This side of eternity, this side of Jesus' return, while you have breath in your lungs, is every moment an opportunity to be reconciled to God through faith in Jesus and his death and resurrection for you. And you will find, amazingly, that in that process, you're actually empowered to walk right before God the natural man thinks, oh great, opportunity to carry on sinning. But you will find as you genuinely give your sin and your failure to the Lord and receive his grace and his kindness and his mercy to you and receive your love into his life, you will find that your desire for him goes through the roof. <laughs> wow, that God would do this for me, that he would forgive me of so much. I love him, I want to serve him the rest of my life. 
He has been forgiven much, loves much. And you will find a new power to walk right. And follow Jesus more closely. Because a new devotion will be birthed in your heart. Father, we thank you for this grace that we found in you. Holy Spirit, I ask that as we worship you and open our mouths and our, our lungs and our hearts to you right now, that you would give us a deeper revelation of your grace to us. And we'll be those that follow you so, so closely. That you say no to unrighteousness and yes to this wonderful eternal life that you call us into. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship, shall we?